Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, for today's podcast, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, John. Good to be back. So we're going to be discussing three equities as we usually do on the podcast. But before that, we're going to touch very briefly on the wider economic and market conditions out there. And Alan, of course, looking at the announcement yesterday from Boris Johnson, he said everything's going to be going back to normal uh, on July the 19th. I think they're going to be having a, uh, a meeting and update on the 12th just to confirm that that is um, going to go ahead. But as it stands, we're going to be opening up and all restrictions moved. So that's quite an interesting prospect for the UK economy. Very little in the way of market reaction as one would mm. expect, because of course, this is something that's been worked on for many months, very clearly signposted and outlined in terms of the timeline. There was a, little, a slight uh, um, put back in, in the date that things will go live from the 21st of, of June. But uh, again, very little market reaction to that. So it looks as though we're going to be opening up and everything's going to be going back uh, to normal. Now, when we're looking at the markets going forward, Alan, in your view, you know what is the next thing that people are going to be looking for and the market's going to be looking for in terms of this COVID uh, situation and, and, and COVID timeline? I mean, is it a case now that we go through the July the 19th, all the restrictions are moved, and we see uh, a focus then shift on markets back to growth, um, the economic environment and how we're going to be dealing with this new normal, the new economy. And we're going to discuss some of this in, in uh, some detail with, with a particular company that's operating in this and, and is a, a big player in this. But yeah. when we're sort of looking at a broader market, Alan, do you feel that uh, investors have, have are really done with COVID and now going to start focusing on, on growth figures and more traditional metrics uh, to see uh, the fluctuations in, in markets and obviously position themselves for those fluctuations? Or do you still think that COVID-19 is going to be at the front of investors' mind as we go through the rest of 2021? I have to say, John, I believe that COVID will remain at the front of investors' minds quite simply because I don't think we're by any stretch of the imagination done with it yet. And uh, whilst, of course, it's great to see uh, um, the Euro uh, Euros tournament uh, back here in England, we've got the the uh, t first semi-final tonight uh, between Italy and Spain and the second one tomorrow night, which we were talking about before we came on air. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. But um, we are seeing um, cases rise, certainly uh, down here on the south coast. There's been a big jump in cases this week, and um, particularly in Brighton, where my, my son lives, um, we're seeing a big surge in cases there. So uh, whilst the, the, uh, Boris says he's on track, to reopen, I think we're going to see these regional anomalies come back in again. We're going to see uh, regional restrictions such as uh, occurred last year. I think I'm in, in Leicestershire and Nottinghamshire. Um, so we're by, by no means done with it yet. And just the way this is playing out, uh, particularly uh, during the summer, I I think it's going to we're going to have this legacy issue hanging over the market. So investor buying and selling decisions will be very much 
driven by that uh, because we'll have to respond to the changing markets and the surges in virus in the virus uh, and in cases um, and in some cases the receipt the receding cases in the virus will have to respond to those more or less on a week-to-week basis. Um, in the interim, of course, we are seeing um, we are seeing activity in the markets. We, of course, saw Morrison's taken over early this week and uh, shares jumped on that front. And I think there's now a bit of a frenzy in the uh, food retail sector on the back of this. Uh, Sainsbury's, of course, insisting that uh, its focus is on its own strategy, not in terms of getting taken over. But um, but nonetheless, it's provided a, a nice fillip for the sector. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, I think uh, um, we've seen, we'll come on to Ocado in a second, but I think we've seen a sea change in the way we live and the way we do things. And um, there are, the technology is now there to support us in the way we live. Obviously, we're recording this podcast remotely. Um we do a lot of work remotely. In fact, we do most of our uh, work remotely in what we do. Um, so the emphasis now isn't on client meetings. It's on Zoom meetings and so on. So I think that's the way uh, the economy is going. So companies and and uh, uh, companies and facilities that support that, I think, will continue to do well. But certainly, yeah, COVID is going to be front and centre of everything, certainly for the next uh, the next six to eight months. So it's quite interesting there. We've been touching on a certain sector there in in the supermarkets. Now, I mean, throughout the reopening trade, mm. uh, we have seen an evolution in the way that that markets uh, have been behaving. Initially, on the vaccine announcement that there was uh, an effective vaccine, we saw a buy everything move. Every, everything rallies uh, pretty much, apart from you know pre- precious metals. Uh, initially, we then started to see, um, you know, certain sectors um, playing out. I mean, in particular, some of the companies uh, that we've mentioned there, and one particular that we're going to be discussing today, Inacardo, uh, was classed as a COVID stock to, to some extent. Um, so we started to see that that play out, and then we started to move towards um, this growth versus value um, element of, of selecting stocks, where the value. Uh, element of uh, the market was left behind. And then we saw a rally in the, in those stocks as, uh, as as investors started to pick up um, the the higher value and and uh, uh, more quality stocks that were, were out there. I mean, do you think now, Alan, that we're going to start moving towards a more stock specific element to the market where stock picking really comes back in? You've obviously mentioned there supermarkets, of course, there's other hmm. sectors out there that within there. There's specific stories such as the Morrison story, which is attractive. Of course, there's various different reasons why people will be going to an individual stock. But do you think this is now going to become a stock pickers market as opposed to one where you're positioning uh, for growth or value within the portfolio? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the the, the uh, certainly in terms of the UK market, you know, the footsie's come back to pretty well where it was pre-COVID. So, so now it's going to be a case of selecting the right stocks, and, and also there there is a there's a lot of risks in that number, arguably. I mean, we we know for 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 instance that um, the UK banks are going to start to make moves to seek to recover the um, and seek to seek to recover an early payback on, of course, the the C bills loans that were provided during uh, during lockdown. Um, and as the furlough schemes end, um, 
then of course we're going to see some companies uh, go to the wall. We're going to see companies uh, struggle financially, um, which is going to further put pressure on the banks and uh, and the financial institutions that support them. So um, there may well be further 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 help from the government uh, provided as we go forward, but the government is going to be left with a huge legacy debt from, well, governments around the world, not just the UK government. And so, of course, at some point, in some way, that's going to be passed on to the taxpayer. Um, so uh, I, I think it's going to be very much a stock pickers market. I think probably at the moment we're seeing uh, the, the market fully valued. I don't expect to see uh, too much of an increase. So now it's going to be very much sector specific M&A activity, as, as I mentioned just now, and um, other factors specific to um, uh, perhaps a certain commodity. Fantastic. So talking about being stock specific, let's now get in, Alan, to the equities that we're going to discuss this week. First of all, Ocado. So uh, for t- the technical analysts uh, among our listeners, if you, if you look at the chart, uh, a perfect example of a double top uh, around the 29 pounds level for Ocado, uh, obviously fallen back since then. Mm. It's actually down. Um, quite interesting looking at some of the stats and uh, before coming on the on the podcast, it's the third biggest faller in the FTSE 100 since the announcement of the vaccine mm. in early uh, uh, November last year. Down 21%, but it's had a huge rally uh, before that. But they've uh, announced results today. Alan, what do they look like? It's a very strong set of results indeed, uh, uh, John. And I think, um, yes, Ocado uh, did crash because, of course, the, um, the, the perceived reliance on... Uh, online re- uh, online retailing and uh, online grocery uh, provision. Um, I think the the market saw a return to normal, but um, I don't believe that will be the case. And I think uh, that fall in Ocado shares since March actually makes them look reasonable value now. Um, we we know for the first half of the year that revenues came revenues rose by twenty nearly twenty five percent on the first half. Of last year at 1.3 billion, um, EBITDA tripled, uh, in fact more than tripled. Um, uh, even though the company uh, continues to invest in its uh, smart platform uh, business, uh, which is, is basically a, a white label business that uh, it provides to other grocery t- retailers wanting to sell online. So they're really starting to, starting to expand their offering and scale out into other into other other businesses. Nonetheless, despite all that, despite that investment, Ocado uh, didn't make a profit. Still, recorded a tax loss of a, a, a loss of twenty three million, um, which uh, you know, against the turnover, is not a huge amount of money, but it's still a significant uh, a loss. Um, although, of course, it was still down seventeen million on the forty million loss announced the previous year. But the the, uh, the group did say that looking forward. Um, we are. They believe that the the landscape grocery worldwide has changed for good, and um, because of what's happened, I think a lot of people simply won't be heading out to the the uh, the shops or the supermarkets anymore. They will be focusing online, and of course, what that means is that the supermarkets have this huge uh, uh, legacy property assets that uh, they may have to move on. Um, so they're faced with those. Challenges going forward. Property market is very buoyant at the moment. Will it will it remain that way? Will will there be a surf 
a surplus of commercial property coming onto the market. Um, of course, there are all these factors that we need to weigh up going forward. Um, just on Ocado, again, also announced a, a partnership with Alcampo in Spain, Orkin Retail, the owner. Um, they're going to, to roll their technology out into Spain. And, um, you know, this, this is really um, a very strong move by Ocado. And I think given the pullback, in the shares since um, since the uh, uh, the uh, the um, uh, restrictions being lifted was announced back in March, I think uh, we're now looking at reasonable value. I mean, we are actually just off the year lows, just at just over twenty pounds a share, and of course the shares have traded just under thirty pounds a share on the year. I mean, when we're, when we're looking at the the valuation of uh, Ocado at, at this point in time. Alan, I mean, I'm just looking here at the at the revenue group revenue uh, for the first half, 1.3 billion. Annualize that very crude way of doing it, 2.6. Mm. Then you, we're looking at a, a market cap here of of around um, you know 15 billion. So yeah. uh, roughly trading six times revenue and for a company that's quite well established. Now, one could argue that that's pretty high. I mean, if you then go down to look to the profit, of course. Um, you know, fairly sort of fair, fairly low there and negligible. Of course, there's been a huge increase, but you know, a bit of just 61 million. Mm. I mean, where is market? Where's the market seeing the value in in Ocado? Is I mean, is this a takeover story? Is this a a story where they expand their operations to become a major player within groceries? As you said, they start to use their sort of techno- technological mm. platforms and, and white labelling. Or, or do you think that people are really starting to focus on how they can expand and just look at increased uh, customer numbers going forward and you know use those users to then um, bring up the profitability of the company uh, not having to spend so much and bring on bring on new users I mean it's it's quite a high valuation why do you think the market is placing such a, a rich valuation on them at the moment I think I think you've outlined there's there's reasons already John and I think it is uh, well firstly um, it's very much uh, made its intentions clear it it is expanding overseas. It has the smart platform, which can be used by the grocery retailers. So it's seeking to bring all of the growth retail or the fragmented grocery retailing market together under under so so that fragmented marketplace starts to use the Ocado channels, which of course gives Ocado effectively a cut in every the um, tiny cut in every single item that's being sold um, uh, sold online, which is huge. Um, also, the, the expansion into Europe. I mean, um, I think uh, in the environment that we're now in, which is, as I said, is very much. Uh, I think it's you know it's going to be governed by COVID and and um, that that change in shopping habits that uh, the company mentioned this morning. I think um, those factors alone will will see will provide a very strong backdrop for Ocado to grow into and it's not inconceivable that um, you could eventually see uh, the likes of Ocado snapping up some of the historically huge retailing uh, 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 retailing names in 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 the grocery sector um, uh, you know we, we we had the American um, uh, entity take over Morrison's uh, we could now see perhaps Ocado become uh, become an aggressive uh, acquisitive platform in in the sector going forward um either way i think the the market has very much come to ocado and i don't see any significant change in the foreseeable future uh in that 
Fantastic. So an interesting story to watch out and how that plays in the relationship with, with COVID-19. So moving on now, we're going to be discussing a stock that we have touched on uh, previously on the podcast, Alan, uh, watches of Switzerland. Now at the time, he did highlight quite a strong growth case for the company. And just looking here at the chart, that's certainly been reflected in a steady and strong uh, uptrend in share. So what's the, the latest that uh, watches of Switzerland? Well, this is this is a, a company that has just, um, uh, you know, absolutely blazed a trail uh, and has really adapted well to uh, the challenge of COVID and has grown incredibly during during that period. And it's just delivered some some incredible numbers. Um, so watches of Switzerland, you know, it's very much what, what you'd imagine. Swiss, you know, the, the company are a retailer of Swiss watches. They have uh, multiple channels across the UK and in the US, um, uh, 140, 150-odd showrooms in the UK and the US. And, of course, they're based at airports around the world, uh, which, of course, has not served them hugely well. But they have a very strong online offering, which they've uh, spent time developing. Uh, the, the chief executive, Brian Duffy, uh, who's been at the helm since 2014, has just been absolutely focused on growing the, the online offering. And, of course, we heard you know, last year, uh, with the advent of COVID, stores were closed and shocker, the the shares uh, slipped down. I think um, I think uh, well, the the absolute year low for the stock was uh, £2.48 uh, based on the July figure last year. In fact, I think it was less than that as we go go back prior to that. It was below £2. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it's, uh, it's blazed a trail since then. Um, uh, the company announced great growth um, as... The second half of the year progressed um, in 2020. Um, very bullish trading update uh, in uh, um, um, back in in May this year, um, and also there were strong uh, strong buys from the board share, share dealing. Um, the chairman uh, and four, three non-exec directors bought chunky amounts of shares, which helped support and drive the share price forward. But um, then, of course, in uh, at the end of May, we had. Um, the uh, the full year uh, or, or a, a trading update for the full year and um, a trading update for quarter four um, and the company said it, um, it had seen a really strong finish to the year um, with adjusted EBITDA expected to be between 104 and 107 million up from 78 million last year net debt uh, which was previously 130 million uh, is down to 43 million beating the Guidance it provided uh, earlier in the year of between sixty and eighty million. Group revenues nine hundred five million, up thirteen and a half percent, but driven very much by growth in the US, um, with thirty eight percent, thirty eight and a half percent growth in US, and um, three point six percent growth in the UK despite the store closures. But the biggest driver, as I said a, a little earlier, was the uh, e-commerce sales, online sales grew by 120 percent um and the group said you know the outlook for is very strong uh, they were just seeing uh, um a very impressive growth um and that's also borne out by the quarter four figures that they announced as well um revenues in the fourth quarter of 218 million versus 124 in the same period last year so it's nearly double um uk revenues of 126 million up from 84 million last year um and in the quarter, in the last quarter, 
revenues from the US were 92 million, and that's compared to revenues of 39 million for the whole of last year. So you can get some idea of where this is going. The the past quarter revenues and growth revenue growth in the US and online is accelerating, and the guidance the company are now providing, they're expecting revenues of between 1.05 and 1.1 billion for the uh, uh, 2022 with net debt of about 20 to 30 million. I mean, if they exceed that, of course, that net debt will disappear and the company will have no debt. It'll be this huge money-making machine. So um, at this point, I think um, even despite the strong growth, it's still looking like a very strong buy. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that, that's a point that I'd pick on with, with this company. I mean, anybody looking at that chart is thinking, well, hang on, I've, I've, I've missed it. This, this is a huge mm. uh, move high here. Uh, but I mean, from what you've seen of the company, I mean, is, is this a case that uh, in terms of the shares, that it can just simply be supported by further growth going forward? Or is it a story that, yes, uh, OK, they've had a, a, a jump in online sales, which is fantastic. You know, during COVID, they survived and they've got through it and they've managed to produce stronger figures than they did before that um or, or is it a case that, okay that that happened um and now people are really going to be focusing um on uh, the the underlying growth trend going forward and, and, and we support that or, or do you feel that maybe a little bit of this company's uh sort of progress in the share price is, is done at this point uh well um I think probably three to four months ago or six months ago, you'd have looked at the growth and said, oh, surely that's enough for now. It can't go any higher. But uh, it's showing no signs of slowing down. And really, um, this is this has all been achieved without uh, without airports getting back to normal volumes, without uh, the, the normal retail outlets getting back to anything like normal volumes. So it's been driven very much by online. So I think they're that potentially there's a whole lot more to come. And also, you know, if the company decides to expand into other countries um, extensively, if it decides to expand into Asia and the, the Far East, um, the Middle East, there's it can do anything it likes. Um, because with the sort of debt levels we're looking at now versus turnover, um, you know, 20 to 30 million versus the turnover of 1.1 1, 1 billion is is a drop in the ocean. And uh, I don't think anyone would look at that and have any concerns on uh, on any levels of debt at all. Um, it just seems it's uh, it's growth all the way. And there's every reason, I think, to expect further growth going forward. As It will get to a point where it does slow down. But I think the, the fundamentals that are backing this do provide significant uh, additional upside. Yes, in, indeed. It was an interesting story back when we discussed it uh, earlier on this year and, and it continues to be so so I'm sure it's one that we discuss on the podcast as we get further figures from uh, from watches of Switzerland so Alan the the final stock that we're going to discuss today again is one that we have touched on on the podcast but as many of the companies operating in this sector the the junior explorer sector mm-hmm. uh, there's been uh, quite a strong flow of news. It's Cavango Resources. What's the, the latest update from them? Well, again, uh, if you look at the chart for the year, very strong share price performance for the company. Um, the company has uh, now got a market cap of 20, uh, just under 22 million. Shares have traded as low as at 1p on the year. Now it's uh, just on 6p and, um, uh, you know, close to close to year highs, but, but with good reason. Um, so the uh, 
a lot of the uh, a lot of the factors behind uh, the, the increase are the fact that um, it's currently working on a number of projects in Botswana. It's Botswana focused. Um, there is a huge area called the what it calls the Kalahari Suture Zone. Of course, it's the Kalahari Desert. It covers a huge amount of the the country, um, and it's been working on this. Uh, the Kalahari Suture Zone, and it's 12 prospecting licenses in that region, um, which are covering getting on for 8,500 square kilometres. Um, the area is very prospective for copper, nickel, and also platinum group metals. But um, uh, as it started to research the area, um, a model emerged um, that was similar in many ways. Uh, and this model was produced through uh, teams on the ground sampling, magnetic surveys on the ground and also aeromagnetic surveys to build up a picture of this uh, this model of uh, the geological anomalies that were several hundred meters below the ground. And it very much replicated uh, what was the, uh, the uh, Norilsk mine in Siberia. Um, and this is a huge mine that produces uh, 90% of Russia's nickel, um, 60% of, um, well, I, I think uh, 20% of the the world's nickel, 10% um, of the world's cobalt and uh, uh, copper and also. So it's a huge producing mine worth many, many billions. So um, there's great excitement because the company are now drilling. the. They're starting to drill into this model, having got all the sampling back. And we are seeing, we are starting to see some results come back through. Um, the... The the, the uh, that's uh, that's the, there's a, a lot of news flow that's uh, scheduled to be released by the company over the next few months. Um, what's also changed as well is that um, we saw the long-standing chief executive Michael Foster uh, step back to a, a non-exec role, and uh, Ben Turney come in as uh, as chief executive. And Ben is a pretty dynamic character. I've known Ben for some years, and he's just got behind this. Um, really understands what the company has and is able to articulate that very well, um, both at an institutional and retail investor level. So he's got legions of investors enthused by the um, the, uh, the recent developments. The, the other aspect to the business that it has um, in southern Botswana, uh, in an area called the Kalahari Copper Belt, um, it has uh, a joint venture um Firstly, with uh, in, in fact, no, before I come to that, um, it has a, a, um, a joint venture with uh, uh, LV Geo Explorers on two uh, copper prospects, which um, are highly prospective. Um, a number of de- developments uh, over the year. We've seen um, we've seen uh, a sampling and a- um, Aramag surveys uh, um, identify uh, identify um, um, anomalies and. Uh, there's great excitement around those two. Um, then there is a finally a joint venture with Power Metal Resources um, on other licenses in the area. And they've identified two huge targets there: the Marola and the Acacia uh, targets, which are being explored and uh, will shortly be uh, be drilled as well. In addition, there's the Ditau Camps uh, Rare Earth Metals project, which um, and which the is being rolled with the Kalahari Copper Belt projects with Power Metal into a separate company called Kanye Resources, which will then be separately listed uh, at some stage in the not-too-distant future on the London markets. 
So there's an awful lot going on. Um, the, the primary focus at Kavanga is, as I said, the Kalahari Suture Zone and the drilling that's taking place there. But there's a lot more news to come. And I think uh, we're set for a very busy few months and a oh, busy summer from, uh, from uh, Kavanga. I always like to know this with, with these companies because you know, companies like Kavanga that are working on lift different projects, um, you know, not all of them are going to be successful. And, and, and typically it's one project that, that makes the company and, and produces yeah. uh, shareholder value going forward. In, in your view, Alan, with Kavanga, which one do you think that's going to be? Well, um, actually, it could be it could be any of the three uh, because they, they are all developing at a rate of knots. Um, the drilling, there's great excitement. The, the KSZ, I think, is probably the flagship project because if they... If the drilling confirms what they believe to be underground, it could be absolutely huge. I mean, the Norilsk mine is 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 enormous. Um, so, I mean, if if there is the resource there that the company thinks is there, um, and uh, they can join venture with a mining giant to develop it, then we've seen this happen before. Greatland Gold, of course, with the Haverian Haverian uh, deposit in Australia. Um, uh, a joint venture with Newmont's, uh, sorry, Newcrest Mining, and um, the market cap jumped from probably about thirty to forty million up to as high as one point three billion. So um, you know that's that's transformational for a company of this size, and obviously for shareholders um, who bought in um, early doors on a on a, a, a an asset like this, it's incredibly exciting because it can be transformational on so many levels, um, and. I think the, fo- the focus certainly for that sort of transformation is on the Kalahari Suture Zone. But equally, with the, the joint venture with uh, Power Metal, um, uh, the two Acacia and Marola, Marola uh, prospects are similar to the prospects that were identified at T1, which is about 15 to 20 kilometres from, um, from the Marola and Acacia prospects. Um, the T1... Uh, was identified by Paul Johnson, the chief executive of Power Metal, um, with his previous company, Metal Tiger, and of course that was then sold uh, to um, that was then sold, and a, a, a copper asset was developed there, um, leading to a great return for shareholders some year some years uh, uh, later. So there's a very real uh, there's a very real prospect that uh, these two prospects that the joint venture is working on could turn out to have the same sort of uh, levels of copper um, and could deliver a return too. So, um, you know, I think for Cavango, it's, it isn't just one project. It's uh, It could be either of these. And uh, depending on which news gets back to the markets first, it'll be, it'll be that or the other. Fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Alan. So just as a recap of the equities that were discussed today on the on the podcast, initially was Ocado, trades under the ticker of OCDO. Just then was Cavango Resources with the ticker of KAV. And before that was Watches of Switzerland with a ticker of WOSG. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, John. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.